0: Good morning, church. Today's scripture is found in Philippians 3.12 through 4.1. Please stand for the reading of the word. Beginning in verse 12, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. This is God's word. You may be seated.
1: All right. Hey, guys. Good morning. Welcome to the King's Church. Just glad you're here with us this morning. My name is Stephen. I'm the pastor here. And i um, Uh, We're in Philippians, uh, actually sneaking up on chapter four now. So we're kind of on the the back half, last chapter of this book, from Paul to the church in Philippi. And uh, excited to have you all here as we continue our series. Um, In in my Bible, anyway, maybe in yours as well, this section that Michael just read has the subtext above it uh, that says, straining toward the goal, straining towards the goal. Maybe uh, it says something similar in your Bible as well. And so I just want to start off talking a little bit this morning about what it means to kind of be goal-oriented... In regards to our our spiritual walk, in regards to just how you live on an everyday basis, some of you are absolutely goal-oriented people. Maybe um, when you walk into a Costco or a Target, you're like, I got some things that I need to accomplish. And then, you know, two hours later, you're still there. And you're like, "Why, why am I walking around in circles? And maybe the goal wasn't as clear for you as you thought it was. In other ways, though, you guys have... Goals in terms of just life even. Think about just even for yourself for a second. This year, 2024, I know it's uh, it's past resolution time, but what are the things that you're looking forward to uh, accomplishing or maybe um, kind of getting to in 2024? Think about the rest of the year. Maybe it's a vacation. Maybe there's a concert coming up that you're looking forward to. Maybe it's I don't know, like a, like a wine tasting thing with friends. Maybe it's a an experience that you're going to have at some point. Maybe for some of you who are in school or parents, you're looking forward to summer. Probably parents actually not looking forward to summer, but um, uh, some of you are looking forward to these kind of spring break moments actually, and thinking about what it means to uh, think about that as a goal or accomplishing that. Maybe if you zoom out a little bit, even too, think about your. Your life's goals. What are the things that you're looking forward to accomplishing in your life? And maybe they get a little bit you know, more grandiose. It's like, hey, I want to lose some weight. I want to be healthy. I want to get my blood pressure down. Maybe it's health-related rela- like that. Maybe there's some family kind of milestones or things that you're wanting to accomplish. Uh, By the end of my life, I want to have you know, this amount of kids or live in this place or you know, pay off my mortgage or, or, or whatever the thing is that you have in mind when it comes to setting a goal and accomplishing that thing. Well, I think that it's natural for us to think that way. I think it's probably innate in us to want to accomplish things. It's kind of something even just in the air we breathe, and the water we drink, um, that we want to accomplish and set out these goals and, and finish those up. But how often do we think about stuff like this, but we don't consider our, our, our spiritual goals? That's something I just want to pivot towards this morning a bit. As, as I mean, some of you have written down these previous things that I've talked about and have been very intentional about accomplishing these things. But how, how often do we approach our, our spiritual journey, our, our faith journey, in the same way when it comes to our relationship with Jesus? Are we as intentional? And, and here's the reality. If, if God is real, and I believe he is, and if God cares about the way that we live, which I think he does, um, shouldn't it be important for us to finish well? Shouldn't it be important for us to spend our life doing and accomplishing the things that He wants us to accomplish as opposed to simply thinking about our, our stuff, our goals in mind? And so this morning, I want to share about the hope that I have, to share the, uh, about the hope that many of you have as well, that, that when we meet God one day, and I think we will, we'll meet God face-to-face, and that interaction... Uh, will go one of two ways. And I think the good news for us is that it can go well because of Jesus Christ. Because of our relationship with Jesus, we can attain or press on towards the goal that Paul talks about here in Philippians 3 in a way that is, is the, most, the best use of our time possible on this earth. There's, there's nothing better than Jesus and I hope you share that sentiment with me that when it comes to what we can accomplish or aim our life towards, there's nothing better than Jesus. There's no vacation. There's no experience. There's no expedition to like Machu Picchu. There's no, there's no you know, meal or thing to uh, attain or to have over time that is better than knowing Christ. And as we work hard to accomplish, I really believe the end makes all the difference. Isn't that true for your goal, goal setting in general? Like, if the, if the end isn't worth it, then why would we go through the hardship of like getting up early in the morning and running or you know getting up early and being disciplined to accomplish X, Y, or budgeting or all these things that we sacrifice and do that are hard if the end is not worth it? And I think this is what Paul's life in many ways points to is this idea that, that he had worked out the cost-benefit of living for Christ. And he believed so deeply that a life with Christ was worthwhile, that he endured all these things. If you look at the Apostle Paul's life, you see that he really believed that in the end, his devotion to Christ was worthwhile. He put his comfort on the line. He put his safety on the line. Some of you who know about Paul's life uh, know that he was uh, thrown in prison. Oftentimes he was beat up. Uh, He was shipwrecked three times, which is probably three times more than any of us in this room. If you have a shipwrecking store, by the way, I'm really curious to hear that. I'd love to hear that story. Um, He's lost possessions. He was sick. He was alone. Paul suffered all these things. And this was his pitch in many ways to us. It's like, hey, hey, this is worthwhile. Join me in my attempt to press on towards the goal in knowing Christ and all the stuff that's happened in my life. It's worth it because Christ is all. Christ is all. And so that's his motivation, to endure. That's his motivation as he invites people in. Hey, run this race with me. An eternity with Christ is worthwhile. So Philippians 3 this morning, that's what we see, this encouragement to endure. This encouragement to, to run the race well because in the end it's worthwhile. Maybe you need that encouragement as well. As we think about this joy of forward thinking, of thinking about the end, uh, I have four points this morning, and the first one is grounded in verses 12 through 14. Uh, Point number one is simply this. When it comes to our forward thinking, that we, we ought to focus on the prize. Focus on the prize. Verse 12 says this, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul is, is firm. He makes it clear from the start that, hey, this idea of knowing Christ in all these layers and levels, and, and knowing him as as we read about earlier in Philippians three, in his suffering, in his resurrection, in his death, all these things, Paul's saying, "Look, I haven't made it yet, guys. I'm not there yet." And and it, it may feel obvious to say that, but the reality is, uh, Paul is a bit of a spiritual hero. He's like this this like kind of folk story of like, man, Paul's Paul's next level. And, and so when you interact with people uh, who you don't think have a hard time with certain like things in life, it, it's easy to kind of overlook their experience. And Paul's saying from the start, "Hey, first of all, I, I haven't, I haven't made it yet. I'm not, or I haven't arrived yet. Maybe uh, you know, if you watched a, a YouTube video or a, something on the TV or something of a celebrity, or or a millionaire, or some person who has a lot of clout and money." Try to on camera appear to be relatable. It's kind of funny, right? It's like we're just like you, right? I remember this one time uh, Bill Gates was being interviewed by Ellen on on her show, and there was a really funny game where uh, Bill Gates had to guess how much like regular household things cost. So it was like uh, like a bag of tortilla chips. He's like. I don't know, like, when was the last time Bill Gates bought tortilla chips, right? He's like, $12? And everybody's like, oh my gosh, $12? Like, he has no idea what the real world is like, right? Like, And he's like, so, so she brings out, like, I don't know, something, something even larger. Like, uh, here's a, a washer or a dryer. He's like, $10,000? Like, I don't, I don't know, like, what does it cost? Like, maybe some of those do, but, and it's, it is funny because at times when we think about people who are trying to be relatable, uh, it, it's hard for us to see them as people. And that's what Paul's doing here at the start. He's saying, look, look, when it comes to me and my my own race, you may see me as a giant, spiritually. You, you may think of me as being arrived already, but I am right there with you. Because I haven't experienced Christ as fully as yet. I haven't, I haven't experienced Christ in his resurrection and death and, and gone through that myself. And so all of us are on a journey and we press on to make it your own. And so let me just kind of take Paul's encouragement to the Philippians and apply it to this room to flatten out our spiritual journey together as well. We are all in this together. There are certainly some people who have been at it longer. There are some people who have just become Christians recently. And for all of us, we, we're, we're all in this together when it comes to our growth, our spiritual understanding of who Jesus is and what he wants in our life. And Paul says that in, in verse 12. Verse 12 we also understand the order is important. This is actually a, a, um, kind of a theme that we see in Philippians a little bit here. And I want to make sure that it's clear. He's not saying in verse 12, uh, when he says, but I press on to make him my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. There's an order thing here that I just want to make sure is clear. When we press in, it doesn't mean that when we press in, Jesus then presses back. Okay. There's an element that's important for us to understand when it comes to, like, theologically, uh, we don't make the first move to God. We were dead in our sin and our trespasses. That's where we're found to start with. And so we're we're not the hero in the story where we're reaching out to God and it's like, I found Jesus. Sometimes people will say that, and I understand what they're meaning, but listen, Jesus was never lost, right? We were lost. And so God makes the first move to us. Jesus moves first, and that's the the heart of the gospel in many ways that it's our sin our our state of a lack of righteousness that, that 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 necessitates God moving first on our behalf and so he steps in and he covers up our sin and our lack, and he covers it with his own righteousness and what we lack he has a surplus of and our spiritual death he offers his work and so That's the good news for us, is that we didn't have to show up looking good and put together. It's not our work. It's Christ's work for us. This is what Jesus does for Paul. And so Paul says, because of that, at the end of verse 12, because of that, I have now pressed on to make him, to to know him more. And this is the target I'm I'm running to. I, I wonder if Paul was a bit of a former athlete. Some of you guys know former athletes. Some of you are former athletes. Uh, one of the ongoing conversations uh, me and Ellie have uh, throughout the last few years is talking about athletes who become non-athletes, and they're called NARPs, right? So, actually, I'm going to get this wrong, Ellie, because sometimes I mess it up. But actually, what <laughs> is it again? Non-athletic, Nor- non-athletic regular person. I That's a NARP. Not- so we all make the shift. There's actually another version of that that I can't see up here, but that's okay. Um, non-athletic regular person. People who used to be athletes, and I wonder if Paul was an NARP a little bit, where he kind of moved into this, this uh, transition stage of his life where he used to be a runner. He talks about running a lot. He talks about goal setting a lot. And I'm just curious, actually, any, anybody run in this room? Uh, don't worry, I'm not going to be funny to you. Uh, runners? Okay, some of you guys run. One, you, Eric ran one time, that's great. Cool. So listen, if you're a good runner, if you're a bad runner, it doesn't matter. The point of running is to get somewhere, right? To, to make your way towards a goal. And Paul reminds us of that, that when it comes to our own spiritual work, when it comes to our journey of faith, uh, it, it really doesn't matter at the end of the day how well we're doing it. The, the point is, is there, is there forward movement? Are we moving towards the goal of knowing Christ more as it talks about in Philippians 3? That's the target we're running for. A bad runner is one who does not run, right? Uh, somebody who's stagnant, or someone who just runs in circles. They're aimless. Uh, they're not really running anywhere in particular. Um, and, and so we, we see, um, actually, if you guys know the, the book of Pilgrim's Progress, the Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan, um, the character Christian, uh, he's taking this journey from his home to the celestial city, And at some point, he loses his motivation and his impetus to to move forward. He's like, you know what? This is a nice hill. I'll just stop here. And he takes a nap under a tree, right? And he just kind of hangs out there for a while. And it's in his lack of forward movement. It's in his lack of motivation. That's when he's captured and taken to the pit of despair in Bunyan's book. And so, guys, listen, the, the focus is the prize and the movement is for us to move towards that prize. That's in many ways the big idea of this whole passage is that we would move forward, that we would not be stagnant or aimless. Paul says though also in verse 13, to focus on the prize is not just the goal ahead, but it's to forget what's behind us. It's not just thinking about what's ahead of us, but we have to forget about what's behind us. forgetfulness in the Christian life when it comes to our sin, when it comes to who we used to be, it is incredibly important. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you have been uh, the, the best of sinners in a way. You've, you've lived your whole life or lived a big portion of your life in sin, uh, living for yourself, doing your own thing. And you know that when you start a relationship with God, if you don't put that, that past sin in its proper place, it could sneak up on you every day. And listen, I'm sure that Paul is speaking to us, but he's also speaking to himself. Paul has that, that, that resume that we talked about last week. Paul has that, that list of the way he used to live. And I, I can imagine every day he wakes up and there's probably a small part of, of his, his mind that goes to this place where it's like, Paul, you think you're so great planting a church, serving people. What about all those people you hurt you know, 10 years ago? What about all those people, all the Christians that you supposedly love now, who you, you ruined their lives five years ago? Paul has this long list of things that he has to daily wake up and forget about. And maybe that's you too. Maybe that's you as well. It is easy to allow past sin to get in the way of our future calling. Don't let it happen. It's, it's easy to disqualify our future with Jesus based on our past failures. Don't get in the way of what God is calling you to do because you are, it's, so, it's so hard for you to forget what you've already done. And Paul reminds us to keep our eyes forward. In verse 14, he says, I, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The upward call There's this idea of looking ahead. To always keep your eyes forward and to look ahead. I played basketball in high school for like two years. And I don't remember a lot from it. I'm pretty bad now, as you can tell. But uh, I remember one thing my coach said is that whenever I dribbled the ball, I was supposed to look ahead and keep dribbling. And it's kind of actually harder than it sounds. But that's the whole goal is to kind of move forward up on the court. Keep your head up, not to stare at the ball while you're, while you're dribbling it, right? That's, that's how a lot of young basketball players start, but to keep your dribble going and to look forward. And that's the same idea here, is that we would keep our eyes upward. Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4, Paul writes similar ideas, that we would set our mind and our eyes on the things that are above. Because what, what's above? That's where Christ is. And so he's basically saying, hey, keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes upward and forward and and stop looking behind you. Don't look back. This is the common mistake we see in Christians that that really hamstrings our effectiveness for for God to use us in many ways. This is the Israelites in the wilderness, constantly thinking back on their time in Egypt. Like, man, we had it so good back then. We got three square meals a day. They were also slaves, but they forget that part. This is the the classic mistake. Lot's wife, maybe you recall, looking back at Sodom as she runs away and yet has to take one look back and she becomes a pillar of salt. Don't look back. Focus on the prize. Point number two is this. Find another gear. Verse 15 says this. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Okay, so I I don't run, but I've heard from runners that it's possible to find another gear sometimes when running. Now, I do recall, maybe you do as well, uh, if you were to run like a mile or something like that, uh, that last like 50 yards, it's always kind of fun to like find the other gear, right? To run really hard at the end and to finish Well, this is what I think Paul is talking about here when it comes to our maturity. Are are you growing in your maturity? Have you found that other gear to go to in your growth as a Christian? And and I think what he's saying here is that part of our maturity is based in our teachability and our humility. If you want to be mature in the faith, uh, you have to realize that you have still many things to grow and learn. Like, isn't that true of us in life? Like when, the more we know, the more we realize we don't know that much. Um, I, I have these interactions occasionally with my kids and I'm, I'm convinced that sometimes God's just giving me kids for me to understand uh, spiritual truths uh, oftentimes. But if you see a kid and they're outside and they're looking at the moon and the stars as like a five-year-old, it can be this beautiful, amazing thing, right? It's like, wow, look at the Look at the stars. The the moon is so bright tonight. And there's this kind of interaction we have uh, with parents and kids who have that realization. Wow, it's so beautiful. Now, let's say that kid continues to kind of press in and learn more about astronomy. And they realize how many stars there are. And they realize that as great as our moon is and how much it serves the balance that we have scientifically here... Uh, the moon is actually not very special. There's actually lots of moons all over the galaxy. And the more you learn, the more you realize, like, okay, I don't actually know very much. There's actually quite a bit I don't know. And I think the same is true for us, for those of us who press into Christ and try to grow in our own maturity as well. This uh, This is hard for us because we are impatient. This is hard for us because we are prideful. This is hard for us because once we have attained something, something like salvation through Christ, we think that it's time for us just to kind of relax and just roll with it. And Paul's saying here, look, those of us who are mature will realize that we have to strain and keep pushing forward to know Christ even more. Sometimes we let up and downshift Sometimes, as we get older, we realize, like, man, you know what, I've done a lot of stuff already. I don't need to do anything more. So I'm I'm in my 40s. At some point, I used to be 20. And I remember when I was 20, I would sometimes interact with older Christians. And maybe this dynamic is true uh, of you in some way as well. And I would interact with older Christians... And I would show up church, I would show up in these settings a community, and I would want to serve, I don't want to get involved, and I would see the, uh, the, the delight in these older Christians' eyes of, like, reinforcements are here, like, I'm out, right? Like, I can't get away fast enough. And I don't even know what I'm doing yet, but they're like, hey, this is on you now. You have to do this now. And I'm not talking about, like, intentionally, thoughtfully, like, passing the baton of leadership, Delegating, training people up, discipling people, and then handing uh, responsibility off—I'm talking about. There are certainly Christians, maybe in this room even, who have have said, "You know what? I've done enough, and it's time for the next generation to keep keep working." I, I would just respectfully and encourage you to not fall into that trap. Don't be a tag-urit type of older believer. Don't be the type of Christian that thinks you've arrived. And it doesn't matter, listen, if you're old or young, we don't neglect maturity. We don't neglect growth. Uh, I, I remember my dad surprised, surprised me about five years ago because he and I were talking about just Bible reading. And um, my dad's older, and uh, he's, been a, he's been a believer all his life. And um, he was talking about his eyes getting, getting worse, and he kind of was showing me this app that he found on his phone, and it wasn't to brag or anything, but he was simply excited about finding the app because it allowed him to continue to memorize scripture and to, to learn uh, and to continue his reading plan. And I was like, that's crazy. Like, what are you, you learning scripture for? Why are you memorizing scripture for already? You, haven't you done enough? I've almost kind of thought that in the moment, but I, I love that type of mentality. Maybe some of you have that mentality that you still have this, this desire, this appetite to grow uh, in, in what God is revealing to you. And so I just want to remind you that at one point, your, your own light burned bright, right? Your, your own desire to see scripture be alive and the stories of the gospel be alive in your life. Those were things you were passionate about. There were times when you were passionate about sharing your testimony. There were times when you were passionate about sharing the gospel. And so I, I want to encourage us to not let go of that. In fact, it's this weird thing that happens where sometimes those of us who are older and maybe jaded in the faith will equate young Christians with being passionate and I just want to point out that I think real maturity spiritually is to continue that passion as we get older that's actually what it means to be a mature Christian so that's that's the second thing that we would uh, continue to uh, find another gear. number three number three two more points Uh, Number three has to do with other runners in the path. Number three is fix your eyes on the runners ahead. Fix your eyes on the runners ahead. Verse 17 starts this way. Brothers, join in imitating me. Okay, so we've talked about this before. Paul likes to do this thing sometimes where he's like, look, follow me. Do what I'm doing. If If you're confused, if you're frustrated, if you're not sure about which direction, start here. Follow me and just come alongside what I'm doing. Paul urges to follow his lead. Now, he has the tone of a big brother. Now, whenever we talk about family, brothers, sisters, moms, dads, and church, I I realize it's a little risky because sometimes I might say family one way and be like, hey, we're like a family. And I'm smiling, right? Well, some of you guys are receiving that like, well, my family sucks. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, I don't want to be family. Uh, So I realize there's a two-edged sword there. But imagine for a second, you had siblings, you had an older brother who was a wonderful older brother, a a guy who you looked up to, who you enjoyed being around, and if you grew up with siblings, or maybe you have kids, and you see that sibling dynamic at play, what oftentimes happens is that there's this imitation happening. I don't know how many times I've heard at my own house, she's copying me, right? Like, well... (laughs) it's not the end of the world, right? It's because she likes what you're doing or there's something that's safe about uh, the imitation of copying an older sibling. And it may feel annoying. It may feel like I don't have my own space when it comes to clothes or my hobbies or sports, but, but the fact that there's somebody who's copying you as a younger sister or brother in Christ, this is what we're after in many ways. It's safe. It's tested. It's tested. And Paul says, look, follow me as I follow Christ. Just follow my lead. He leans into it. And he says, look, it's not just me as well. He says in verse 17, the rest of it, "Uh, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Paul says, look, if you can't follow me, find someone to follow. Find somebody who's who's more mature in the faith than you, and and follow their lead. Do what they're doing. Serve how they're serving. Be faithful like they're being faithful. And so it's not just about Paul. He's saying, look, there's there's Timothy, and there's Epaphrodites, and there's all these people who, who love the church and want to encourage you to grow in your relationship with the Lord. He also offers a warning. Verse 18. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, and their glory is their shame, with minds set on earthly things. Paul is calling people out here, I think. I think there's some probably people he has in mind. I'm not sure who that is. I'm not sure exactly what he is after here, but he likely, I mean, you see some of the emotion even. It says, I tell you with tears in my eyes. These people walk as enemies against the most sacred thing that Paul thinks of, the cross. And he has these people in mind. I think there's two levels to this. The first level is that there's this idea of the enemies of the cross. And I think almost about kind of false teachers. People who would lead young Christians astray into... A, a lesser or you know, flawed theology. So it's, it's the bad theology like we talked about the last few weeks. So maybe it's the, the Judaizers. It's possible that it's those who would add to the law. Uh, today, <coughs> I think about the prosperity gospel and, and those who are, are preaching a false gospel when it comes to, hey, in, in many ways, that's, that is the antithesis of the cross because that the cross is the most valuable thing we point to, that Jesus' work on the cross, uh, that's something the prosperity gospel minimizes in many ways. It says, well, you can have, actually, you can enjoy your life here on earth. You can have lots of great things, and that's actually the point of life, is to attain and to, uh, to kind of be healthy and wealthy in all these ways. So perhaps level one is kind of theological, you know, uh, people who would lead people astray in this way. The second thing, though, I think that he's after is, is found in the end of verse 19. And he talks about their end as destruction, their God is their belly, their glory is their shame. Especially this, with mindset on earthly things. With mindset on earthly things. So we have people who are after their own glory. And, and listen, I think that at the end of the day, we all crave wisdom, right? in every area of our life. If you're a parent, if you're a husband or wife, if you're a, a worker, if, if, as you get older and interacting with your parents, I just need wisdom. I need to learn how to do things. And unfortunately, we live in a society where the loudest voices get the most attention. And so I, let me just speak to kind of a small like sliver of, of this. All right? Men in the room especially, be careful who you listen to on the way to work. There's all kinds of Voices in the podcast world, there's all kinds of voices on YouTube who would grab your attention and say, listen to me, I have, I have wisdom for you to uh, to offer you. And there are guys who, I don't have anything against like Joe Rogan or, you know, Jordan Peterson, these, these names that maybe some of you know, but this is earthly wisdom. That's what that is. It's earthly wisdom. And maybe earthly wisdom gets it right occasionally, but if that's the primary discipling voice in your life, there's something wrong with that as a Christian. Your primary discipling voice should be God's voice in Scripture. Your primary discipling voice should be the people in this room as we disciple one another towards holiness in Christ. As November gets closer, there's going to be opportunity for us to be discipled in wisdom by the world as we watch political pundits throw people under the bus bus left and right. Don't fall for that trap. Don't have your hope like all all wrapped up in what this person has to say on this certain channel that's earthly wisdom and, and listen it's it's textbook it says their end is instruction it's not going to last their god is their belly what does that mean it means that they are they, they they are only satisfied by getting their full their their fill they want glory they want earthly things that's not the way that we as believers live primarily and so where are you running, Christian? Where are you headed? And if it's towards Christ, then look around for the right running uh, buddies. I look for those, those who would run alongside you and encourage you along the way. Let's end with this last point here. As Number four is this, finish the race. Finish the race. Verse 20, Paul says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is, first of all, a sobering statement. Um, I think when Paul writes this, he probably paused halfway through, and as he talks about being a citizen of heaven, uh, he had to probably smile on himself because this was a bold statement to the church in Philippi. Where they received this letter, they are basically seen as a colony of Rome. And at this time, Rome is the best. Rome is the standard. It's like to be a citizen of Rome meant you had so many other... Um, benefits and privileges than the rest of the world. Rome was the standard. There's this joke about, about if you really want to get dads talking to one another, you just bring up ancient Rome. And like dads will just talk. Like ancient Rome's awesome. And they, you, they all of a sudden know all these histori- historical facts and, and you know everything about the aqueducts and how trash was taken care of and all these things that are talking about because because Rome was the standard. You, you remember uh, Maximus and Gladiator. The movie Gladiator, he's, he says, I've seen many places in the world. They're all dark, and they're filled with despair and hopelessness. Rome is the light. This is what Rome as, is seen as, as Paul writes these words. And Paul writes that anyway, and he says, look, we don't belong to this world. Our, our citizenship is held in heaven. And so all of this, as great as Rome is, as great as America is, It's temporary. It's temporary. And so our, our greatest affection should be for a kingdom that is being built by God, not by any, any person. Verse 21 says this. Here's the proof. What will happen as we await the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, thanks Paul, to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. This is the, the proof Paul says. Look, e- even, even in this new place where we will call uh, home for eternity, our earthly bodies won't do. We will be transformed in having new bodies. And, and so, in many ways, he's closing the, the gap in the earlier in chapter 3 when he says, Look, we're going to know Christ in his resurrected body. In the same way, we're going to experience that same resurrected body. And so, this is. This is something that Jesus experienced. He had a new glorious body. He had no sickness, no pain. He wasn't hungry. He's, he just went through a horrendous thing in the crucifixion. But Christ's new body was transformed. And that's true for us too. If our citizenship is in heaven. Listen, don't be fooled. Okay. Don't be fooled into thinking this is home. Like, if I were to say to you, hey, I want to give you $100 today or $10 million in five years, I really hope that no one will walk out of here $100 richer, richer, right? That's like a no-brainer. $100 today versus $10 million in five years. You would be a fool to take $100 today. And listen, this is our daily choice as Christians, that we would not live... For the today, for the temporary things today, but we live for eternity tomorrow. Verse chapter 4, verse 1. Last verse is this. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm, thus in the Lord, my beloved. Paul ends this section with a reminder of his affection for the Philippians. He calls them. His joy and his crown. What a a wonderful way to describe friends. And so today's message is all about pressing on to the end. It's all about being goal-oriented in the right way. I just want to remind you that, as Paul reminds us, that this is actually a team race. This is actually a bit of a relay race, right? This is a bit of a a group project. And I, I know all of us have thoughts about group projects in school, but. Uh, this is a group project in the best possible way, which means that the people to your right and left have value. The people to your right and left are, are valuable, not only in your eyes, but in God's eyes. I'm, I'm oftentimes reminded by that quote from C.S. Lewis that the most annoying person you know, if, if Christ is in them, that one day when their body is transformed you would have to stop yourself from worshiping that creature because of the glory that they received in that new body. The most annoying person you know. And we, we, have, we have so many good things to think about when it comes to community. The, the value of obtaining the prize in Jesus together. And so as, as you go out this week, let's remember that. Let's remember that in your MCs, remember that in your homes, that as we run the race... As we finish the race, let's do that together. Let's bow our heads together and pray. God, we're grateful for this uh, this morning, this chance to be reminded, Lord. Um, God, thanks for Paul. Thanks for his transparency, for his willingness to talk uh, and encourage the church. Lord, I, I pray that we would take this section of scripture and it would be just deeply rooted in our hearts this morning that we would find... A new gear when it comes to our maturity, that we continue to press in and finishing the race, Lord. God, I, I pray for those of us who, in many ways, have been at this a long time, and, or, or maybe even just on a more seasonal level, they just feel tired. God, would you encourage our hearts this morning? Would you use the people in this room to lift our heads and to remind uh, us, one another, uh, that it's worth it. It's worth it in the end. That you called us to this life to live according to your will, and that at the end, Lord, you're going to be glorified. We're going to receive ultimate joy, and that's worth it in the end. God, we love you. We trust you. Praise your name. Amen.